All right, turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter 2, we're going to be looking at verses, the second part of verse 10 through 16. It can be found on page 1019 in the Pew Bible, 1019. 2 Peter 10, you'll see in your outline, 10b, so that's the second part of verse 10 through 16. 1019 in the Pew Bible. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters which, of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They, cl- they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deception while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask now that you would give us wisdom and insight into these words, these difficult words in this text, that we might grow in godliness and Christ-likeness and follow your way. In Jesus' name, amen. A question that we've often talked about and brought up in the past that's worth repeating and considering is, how does someone detect a counterfeit? Right? I've asked this often. How does someone detect a counterfeit? How does someone identify a counterfeit $100 bill? And we've rightly observed that you know and study the real thing, and you consider that counterfeits actually exist, Right? There really are counterfeits. Well, another way is that you hold up the dollar bill and look at it through the light or in the light. And it will reveal certain characteristics that can help you determine whether it's genuine and authentic or if it's a fake and not authentic. Well, in our passage this morning, Peter continues his discussion on false teachers, counterfeit teachers, and he, he's going he's gonna to focus now in greater detail on their characteristics to help the church be on guard against them. When exposed in the light of God's word, their characteristics reveal that these teachers were counterfeit. In our passage, we see the arrogance, the sensuality, and greed of the false teachers, And we see that ultimately they have rejected or forsaken the way of the Lord. They have abandoned the way of righteousness. So first, and you can can see this in your outline, the arrogance of the false teachers. The arrogance of the false teachers. So look with me at the second part of verse 10 through the first part of 13. So you'll see 10b through 13a. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. 
But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. Peter begins his description of the false teachers by identifying their arrogance. In the previous passage, Peter warned the church that, that God will keep the righteous under punishment until judgment day, especially, and we saw this in the first part of 10, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And so now what he is doing, what Peter is doing, is he's taking this last phrase, despise authority, and he's going to unpack that in this first part. And then he's going to take the phrase, indulgence in the lust of defiling passion, and unpack that. So here they are. They reject authority. They are arrogant. They do not tremble. And they are not afraid to slander or to blaspheme. We saw that word blaspheme over and over. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Who are the glorious ones? What is Peter getting at with the contrast to the angels in verse 11? Good question. Most agree that the glorious ones in verse 10 refers to angels. And most agree that this is a reference to evil angels. Evil or fallen angels. And I take it this way because of Jude 8 through 10, in which Jude rebukes the false teachers in a similar way found in our passage. And he gives us more detail and it's not as, not as veiled. And Jude seems to be a little more clear. And so what do we do? We interpret Scripture with Scripture. All right, we interpret Scripture with Scripture. The parallel with, with Jude in Jude 8 through 10 is striking. So listen, listen to Jude 8 through 10. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Now we'll save what that all means when we get to Jude. Right? The, idea, the idea is that the Archangel Michael did not pronounce judgment against the devil on his own authority. And in our text, good angels do not venture to announce judgment over evil angels. They leave such judgment to the Lord. And so this is, this is how I read it. Bold and willful, the false teachers do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious, the, the fallen evil angels. Whereas good angels, though greater in might and power than the fallen angels, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against these glorious, though fallen, angels before the Lord. Okay, so, so very similar to the New Living Translation, NLT, if you've read the NLT or have it. Let me read from the NLT. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at supernatural beings. And then there's a footnote, which are probably evil angels. 
But the angels, who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring from the Lord a charge of blasphemy against those supernatural beings, which was a reference to the evil angels. So I, I would suggest that there is a contrast between the angels, the attitude of the good angels, with the disrespectful, bold, arrogant attitude of the false teachers. Okay, that's, that's the bottom line, however you, you take this. These false teachers are bold and they are arrogant. They slander what they do not understand. And in verse 12, Peter compares them to irrational animals. Like animals, they, they operate on the basis of their desire and instinct and not reason. They display their foolishness in criticizing and blaspheming what they did not comprehend. They would claim that they are the ones who are being rational and reasonable. But their actions display that they're the ones that are actually irrational, you see? Now, we're not certain how they were blaspheming or how they were reviling or slandering or defaming them or only that they were, right? They were mocking them in some way. The outcome they will be destroyed in their destruction. They will reap what they sow. They will suffer wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done to others. They will be condemned and judged for their actions. Peter's focus here is on their attitude. Our words, right, our words reveal what's in our hearts, don't they? We can learn a lot about a person's heart when we listen to their speech. And so as we apply this, Peter's emphasis is on an arrogant heart, manifesting itself with blasphemous words, with slander. All right, so as Christians, we should not be arrogant. Right? We don't have it all figured out. We, we've observed this before, I've said it before, we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? There needs to be some humility about us. And in our speech, let's not mock or scoff or slander anything, anything that God has made. We don't want to mock, slander, or defame anything that God has made. Second, my second point is this. The sensuality and greed of the false teachers. Okay, so we see the sensuality and greed of the false teachers here in the second part of verse 13 through 14. So if you can look with me at that. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, they entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Accursed children. False teaching, counterfeit Christianity, is often revealed in one's lifestyle. Counterfeit Christianity is revealed, can be revealed in one's lifestyle. Peter now describes their actions. And specifically, he highlights their sensuality or their sexual immorality and their greed. 
They indulge in the lust of defiling passion. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. In other words, they couldn't even wait until it was dark to do evil when evil was typically done. The fact that these false teachers were gratifying the desires of the flesh in the daytime reveals that they were shameless, shameless in their indulgence. There's a difference. There's a difference here of someone who is fighting against sin in their life, right? Struggling, sometimes failing, and the one who gives approval and celebrates it and has no shame in it. When we consider the horrific sins done in broad daylight, and we could probably think of several things that are done and have been done in broad daylight, we are often shocked because these outward sins, which normally are done at night, these outward sins reveal a lack of shame right? and a prideful heart. Ecclesiastes 10, 16 Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. We also see here that when they ate together with the church, right, when they had these feasts with the church, they were deceitfully pursuing their own pleasures rather than seeking the benefit of others. And in verse 14, we continue to see their sensuality. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, Literally, they have eyes full of an adulteress, which means they desire, that they desired every woman they saw or see as a partner for adultery. They never stopped sinning with their eyes. They looked at women as objects to satisfy their lust. And they enticed Unsteady souls. They seduced those who were unstable in their faith. Like a fisherman or a hunter who would use bait to, to lure them, lure them to the hook or the trap. Right? So also these false teachers seduce the unstable until they were caught. Now, we're not exactly sure how they did this, right? Peter doesn't tell us how they did this or how they enticed them, only that they did. Not only were they characterized by sensuality, but also greed. Notice the end of verse 14. They have hearts trained in greed. They have hearts trained in greed. The imagery here is of an athlete training in a gym. This is where we get our word gymnasium from. This trained gymnasium. They were devoting time and energy and practice to be proficient and skilled in what? In greed. They put in long, hard hours for a long time to be consistent. They were experts in greed. And Peter says they are accursed children. That's their outcome. They are accursed. They are children of wrath. They are under God's curse and will be judged for their behavior. So there's a number of points of application I want to make here that we need to be reminded of. We live in a pleasure-seeking, sexually-charged, 
materialistic world. Advertisers and promoters, I was a marketing major in college. Advertisers and promoters appeal to sensuality, to our pleasures, to our comforts, in order to entice us to buy what they are selling. Turn on the TV and watch some commercials. Well, actually, don't. (laughs) Hopefully, you have a remote. Stop, stop. If you do watch them, right, watch with a keen eye. Watch them with an eye toward what they are enticing people to do or to get. Sensuality and greed are a part of the culture that we live in. So when those who claim to be Christian are characterized, characterized by the things of this world, namely sensuality and greed and a pursuit of sinful pleasures, the effect that it has on the church is seen in verse 13. They are blots and blemishes. It becomes a stain among us. And again, I'm not talking about perfection. Right? I recognize that as believers, we fight, we struggle, we battle against temptation, especially sensuality and greed. But when a church as a whole, or teachers as a whole, give approval, give approval to the things that the world approves, you could probably think of some examples in your head of things that the church as a whole has given approval to that the world says yes, that are contrary to Scripture, then the spots and stains become bigger and brighter. And they affect our witness. At the end of this letter, Peter's going to say in 3.14 that as we wait for Christ's return and the new creation, we are to be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. This is how we are to be characterized as a pure, spotless bride that is cleansed by Christ, washed with the word that we might be holy and without blemish. Might that be how we are characterized? Might we resist the temptation to pursue our pleasures in what is immoral and wrong? Right? Pleasure in and of itself is not wrong. Pleasure in and of itself is not wrong. But what are we pursuing our pleasure in? Are we seeking to find joy and satisfaction in the things that are not from God? Perhaps you're here this morning and, you're, and some of the things that Peter has mentioned in this text are things that you're struggling with. Maybe you're characterized by sensuality and greed. Or maybe you know someone who is struggling with these things. What should you do? What would you encourage them to do? I know somebody, right? What would you encourage that person to do? How we respond to sin tells a lot about us. How we respond to sin tells a lot about us. The false teachers indulged in the daylight. They didn't feel any shame. They seemed to approve of immorality. They're trained in greed. When you sin, the response of your heart must be to reject it. 
to hate it because it doesn't please God. First and foremost. To hate it because it displeases God first and foremost. We should have a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. It should lead us to Christ and dependence upon his righteousness and his holiness. And when you consider what Jesus has done for you on the cross in dying to take the penalty that you and I deserve, it should compel us to no longer live for ourselves, no longer live for our fleshly desires, but for him. So what should you do? How would you encourage others? Repent and turn to Jesus. Repent and turn to Jesus and keep turning to Jesus. You are not beyond hope. You're not beyond hope or beyond God's grace to be lavished upon you. When you trust in Christ for salvation, you are not cursed. You are a child of God and you are forgiven and blessed. And from the final point of application here, I want to highlight from from verse 14, one last thing. Peter says they entice unsteady souls. Those who are likely to be led led astray are those who are unsteady or unstable in the truth. So if we have a firm foundation in God's word, one that's deeply rooted in Christ and his word, then when we are exposed to various pressures or dangers, we will not be easily shaken. Be trained in God's word, right? Be experts, not in greed, but in God's word. And be established in the gospel. Now, third and finally, the right way forsaken by the false teachers. The right way was forsaken by the false teachers. We've seen the the arrogance of the false teachers, their sensuality and, and greed of these counterfeit Christians. Their mouths and their eyes have exposed them and now we see they've forsaken the right way and followed after Balaam. So look with me at verses 15 and 16. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but he was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Peter now turns to another Old Testament example. Last week in verses 4 through 10, we saw three Old Testament examples. The outcome of the fallen teachers, or fallen angels, the story of Noah and the flood, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. They were a preview of what was to come to the false teachers. And now Peter shows what path, what way they followed. They have forsaken the right way. They have gone astray. They have abandoned the way of the Lord, the way of righteousness, and this is evident in their lifestyle. One's actions, okay, so think about this for a moment. One's actions reveal what path a person is on. There are only two ways. There's only two ways. Only two paths. The right way and every other way. And the right way was abandoned. When Peter says the right way, did you catch that way? We are again reminded that being a Christian is a way of life. 
It's not just a set of beliefs. It is a set of beliefs. But it's a set of beliefs that leads to action. Head, heart, hands. Head, heart, hands. It's the way. For Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Any other way is the wrong way. There's only one way to God the Father, and it is through faith in Jesus Christ. And when one gets off that road, off that path, they've gone astray. And these false teachers have followed the way of Balaam. Now, it seems like Peter's picking up on Balaam for a couple of reasons. Balaam was motivated by sensuality and greed. Balaam was motivated by sensuality and greed. Exactly what we just saw in the previous section. The story of Balaam is found in Numbers 22 through 24. You can look at this later, but I want to highlight various aspects of the story. In Numbers 22, Balak, the king of Moab, sent for Balaam to curse the people of Israel. You recall this story, perhaps? He sent for Balaam to curse the people of Israel so they might defeat them. Right? They were afraid of Israel. There were so many that came out of Egypt. They were afraid of them. Balaam was a non-Israelite prophet. He was a wicked prophet. And Balak's messengers sent they set out with money to pay Balaam and to place a curse on the Israelites, okay? And he has them stay the night, so these, these messengers come. He has them stay the night to see what the Lord would tell them, what the Lord would tell them. And God said to him in Numbers twenty two twelve, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So, Balaam declares that the Lord refused to let him go with the messengers. So then they return back to Balak. And then Balak sends more princes. And he's got even more money. I'm going to give him everything here. Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. He's got, he's got wealth all over the place. Whatever, whatever you say to me, I will do. Come, curse this people for me. What should he have said? No, God has already called them blessed. I will not curse them. What does he say and do? Oh, stay one more night. Perhaps driven by money again. And then it sounds like he's, he, he'll only say what the Lord commands, but then he decides to go with them. And he gets on his donkey. He gets on his donkey and he goes along the path. He's all going along this way. And the angel Lord, the angel of the Lord took his stand as his adversary. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord in front of him. You guys recall this? He sees the angel of the Lord in front of him with a drawn sword and the donkey won't go. And Balaam strikes the donkey, and I can just picture this donkey going over here. Angel Lord is there. Boom, he strikes the donkey again, goes over this direction, sits down and strikes the donkey again because it's not moving. 
This happened three times. The Lord then, the Lord then opened the mouth of the donkey. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? After they talked to each other, I would have been surprised to hear my donkey talk to me. <laughs> After they talked to each other, the Lord opened Balaam's eyes to see the angel standing in the way with his sword drawn. And the angel said, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse or reckless before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside for me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. This is the story that Peter's picking up on to illustrate the foolishness of the way of these false teachers that they have followed after the way of Balaam. And Balaam was driven by greed. He loved gain from wrongdoing, but he was rebuked for his own transgression. The Lord used a donkey. The Lord used a donkey to redirect and restrain Balaam. An animal knew better than this man to go down a path that the Lord opposes. Balaam was acting like an irrational animal, a creature of instinct. The donkey speaking to Balaam shows that he has less insight into what God was doing than his animal. Balaam loved money. The love of money, we know this, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And he was willing to go down a path that he didn't think was dangerous. It was a way that the Lord had rejected, so he was rebuked for his actions. The course of life that the false teachers were on, and for any who are not following the way of the Lord, is the way of destruction. It is madness. It is folly. You see, the right way doesn't always mean that the path that has the most people going in that direction, right? doesn't mean everyone's going in that direction, that must be the right way. The right way is to follow Christ and to listen to him and obey him in what he commands us to do. So the question, the question I want us to leave with is this, that we should ponder. What way what path are you on? Perhaps you've turned away from the right way. It, it's not too late. It's not too late to turn around and follow the Lord. Let's not reject the only path that leads to eternal life. Let's continue to trust in Christ and lead people to him. Let's be recognized and characterized by the fruit of righteousness, right? A tree is known by its fruit. Let's be characterized by the fruit of righteousness as we follow in Christ's steps. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. We recognize that you are holy, that we sin and struggle and fall into sin at times. 
we recognize that you have provided the way, the way of salvation. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, and it is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and I pray that you would help all of us trust in him, follow in his steps, and lead others to do the same. We pray that you would strengthen us to live for him this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.